Soul Ripple, and I'm here with my partner, Devastating Daryl Pace, and we have a legend in the wrestling world. He is an extreme horseman. He is the enforcer. Can we give it up to the ECW legend, C.W. Anderson? Thank you for coming to talk with us right now, man. Man, thank you guys for having me. I'm going to tell you something right now. We don't even have to do a show. I wanted you to throw up the CW. You already did. That's all I need to see, man. That's all I got, man. It's down here from here on out. So my question is, how you been holding up, man? Dealing with everything going on with this COVID-19, being locked up. How you feeling, bro? My regular job is considered essential, so I'm able to actually go to work. You know, I still work Monday through Thursday, but the wrestling part, man, I'm missing that. I'm missing being in the ring. You know, being able to go to the gym, go on the road, that's driving me crazy. Oh, man, I could, I could imagine, man, because you have been still, I, I, you know, we're Facebook friends. I follow your page. You had still been working pretty much every weekend. Just about every weekend. There was periods where I'd work like four months every weekend. Then I'd have a weekend off. And I, this is the business I've been in like 15, 20 years. Wow, wow. Now, you just touched base on going to the gym. And I've actually told you on Facebook, I don't know if you remember, I was man, like, man, you look amazing now. Can you tell people your secret? Um, I got involved with this uh, company, Market America, through Preston, from Preston Quinn, and started taking these isotonic products. They're basically just powdered supplements. Uh, cut back on my eating, watched what I was, you know, doing. Um, had a dramatic life change and got down. Over the summer, I was like 202. And people said that I was like way too skinny. So now I'm holding around 215 right now. But um, that, that was a pretty much just cutting back on me and just taking those natural supplements that were really good for my body. Okay, okay. Because when you were working at ECW, how much did you weigh around that point? 260. Oh, wow, wow. I think my, my quit match for I was about 235, 240. But there was a time when I was with the Dangerous Alliance. I was – sometimes I was 260, and then there would be – you know, like a month, I was about 270, 275. Okay, okay. Oh. Now, with the, now, with the corona going on, how are you able to stay in shape and, you know, keep, keep yourself uh, ready to go once this thing is over? Um, I used to have a full gym, like, in, I built on the side of my garage. I had a full gym, and like I said, with the things that transpired recently, I'm no longer living there. And that's where I live now. I have uh, Bowflex dumbbells. I have bands. I have push-up stands. I have a Japanese push-up board, jump rope. Uh, plus, I have two Rottweilers that I take for a walk almost every day. We walk and run on the trail. I live on a 38-acre horse farm, so I'm able to get out and do things outside that keeps me active. Um, so I'm pretty active with that and with the working out. Man, I'm every day, every Monday through Sunday. I don't take a break. And I got oh, my my biggest thing that I've actually fell in love with is kettlebells. I got a 20, 35, and 45 that I, I swing about every other day would work out. Nice. Have you thought about doing maybe uh, putting workout videos up on your page daily just to kind of. <laughs> I had, I had done a little bit of that um, when I was going to the gym, but um, I hadn't really thought about doing anything like that. It's, I don't, I just know what I do and what works for me. It may not work for somebody else, but you know, when it comes to kettlebells, I've really learned a lot um, and learned the different swings and stuff. And I would love to put those out because I feel pretty confident with those swings and stuff I've been doing. Okay, okay. Now, on staying active, now, what I've always heard is, like, it's almost like a muscle memory, right? If you, if you stay off too long, it, you're more likely to get injured when you come back. Is that true? Like, have you noticed that? Like, you have to keep it, 
keep keep you going know, or what what happens with breaks? I was telling uh one of my one of my students, Victor Andrews, the other day, we actually met up at my uh, old training school and just kind of run the ropes and worked out a little bit. It's amazing how much more I hurt now since I haven't wrestled since March 14th than what I did when I was wrestling every weekend. It seems like I'm and he and I've had a few other wrestlers tell me the same thing that they're hurting more now that we've had this break than than before. I get it. Now, we're going to definitely touch on your wrestling career. I've been a big fan for years. I've been watching you for years, man. Thank you. But I learned something today during my research. I didn't know you almost were a pro baseball player as well. Yeah. Can you tell me yeah. a little bit, and you turned it down? Yeah, that was my, that was my first love um, was baseball. I was gifted. I had um, a strong arm. I wasn't a very fast runner. I was a very good hitter. But I could – throw what I didn't know how hard I could throw um I just know the pitcher would always tell me when it come by him that he could hear the seams cut in the air but the Padres when they scouted they actually came to a all-star game my senior year uh and scouted our pitcher and they found me because I was throwing it harder to second base from my knees at 90 miles an hour I could throw it at 90 from my knees and then I could stand you know, at home plate. I could stand. I could throw it over the left field fence, pretty much on a line, standing at home plate. And I've had that arm as long as I can remember. Like when I was 12 years old, at a 270 foot fence, I could throw it to home plate without it taking a bounce. So you said that was your first love. Why did you not go ahead and take that contract right there? I was an 18 year old idiot that listened to my mom. Uh, 1989, when before the Latin explosion of catchers came out, my idol. Uh, I actually have a tattoo of him on my left ankle, Benito Santiago. I mimicked his throwing style, throwing from a knee. So the, when I, was, I thought it was really cool that the Padres wanted me um, as a catcher. So anyway, before the explosion came out, they're only going to offer me like 20 grand to sign and go play rookie ball. And my mom was like, you know, go to college. You'll always have the pros. Hindsight being 20-20, I should have went and played baseball because college was always the thing to go. But my mom was very influential, so I went there. Uh, blew out my elbow, and my arm was never the same since. Got it strong again to where, you know, I was in my early 40s when I was playing softball competitively. I could still throw it about in the low low 80s. Um, but to turn that down, and I literally got right into wrestling almost like the very next week and haven't looked back. I miss baseball, love baseball, but, you know, I would have never became C.W. Anderson. I would have never – who knows what would have happened. But uh, I can't – if I dwell on that too long, it actually it actually pisses me off sometimes because as much as I love baseball. So, now, you know, <laughs> growing up, were you a wrestling fan? Like, how did, how did you – you know, how, how did this wrestling thing come about? about? I, I despised wrestling growing up. I did not like it. My brother um, was a wrestling nut, and we live a little east of Raleigh in North Carolina, and uh, Dorton Arena was the hotbed of the NWA. And they used to film TVs all the time, film TV on for Saturday nights. And he always tried to get me to watch wrestling, and I wouldn't do it because I was watching Saturday Night Live on our other little TV. Um, 1984, he told me it was one Saturday. He said, come. He said, sit and watch one match with me. He said, I won't bother you anymore if you just sit and watch this one match with me. And it happened to be the Rock and Roll Express versus Ivan Koloff and Crusher Khrushchev. Mm -hmm. And it was the day the uh, Rock and Roll Express took the belts off the Russians. I remember it vividly because when Ricky Morton rolled up Uncle Ivan pinned him one, two, three. My brother and I was jumping around. He like these little, we were little kids, like the Americans had just defeated the Russians, and I was hooked. Fell in love with wrestling that day, 
and was hooked ever since. Nice, man. Well, I see you even had a stint at the power plant. Mm-hmm. Now, that part I wasn't aware of. Could you tell me a little bit about that? Um, when I was started wrestling, somehow I got roped into training kids around uh, I always say kids, but that's how I always roll. But guys around the area I lived in, you know, looking back, I was in really no uh, way of training people. I shouldn't have been training people because I wasn't even trained myself. I just learned as I went. And one of the, my students, one of my very first students happened to be Lodi. That was Raven's sign guy. So Brad, Brad Kane, he was tagging with a guy named Curtis White. They called him Toad. He actually, Toad did a little bit at the end of WCW. He tagged with PG-13 as Frog when they were fighting the Young Dragons. So uh, I trained them. They got it with Pez Watley one weekend on one of their shows, and Pez told them to go down to the power plant and do the tryout. They went through the tryout, passed, and that's where Lodi had gotten, you know, his, his start with Raven. They called me, told me, you know, you're just spinning your wheels in North Carolina. You've done as much as you can on the Indies. Me, uh, train, you know, do squats, run because that's kind of what's going to be going on at the power plant, and then come and try out. So one February, I want to say it was February 98 or 97. Let's say it was a year. Yeah, it was like February 98. I went and tried out at the power plant. Went through that three days of hell. Almost quit several times. Toad was there keeping me, literally keeping me from quitting. Uh, passed it. They, I think 35 of us started that day on a Wednesday, and on that Friday there was five of us left. Uh, uh, nobody became famous in my group at, uh, at the time other than me. Came back, paid the initial fee to get in the power plant to start training under Sarge, which was $1,000. Sarge took me under his wing, him and Pez Wadley and Mike Winter, and kind of transformed and tweaked everything that I thought I knew and made me into the wrestler that you know got my job at ECW. Taught me about selling, psychology, less is more, you know, all these things like that. But so when- so when you started, you said you paid, right? So they're not, you're not, uh, is WCW paying you at all during this? Or no, how, how does that? I, no, I never got anything from WCW. I paid, you know, you had to pay a, th- it was a $3,000 fee. You had to pay $1,000 just to walk in the door. I paid that thousand and they didn't pay any more. Uh, and that was like 30 some of us there on and off. But I, yeah, I actually paid, I wasn't under contract. A lot of ones that were there, Natural Born Thrillers, Elix Skipper, Lash LaRue, Mike Sanders, those guys were in the contract. Johnny Swinger. And, but I wasn't. And it, after a few months of being there, it got to the point where Sarge had me teaching those guys how to do things. And I'm wow. here learning myself. But Sarge thought enough of me and thought of, you know, my talent that he had me training those guys. He'd put me in one ring and show them things while he was in another ring showing guys other things. And then the third ring they had at the power plant, uh, usually Monday or Tuesday, they would be painting the nitro or thunder canvas. So you, that ring wasn't even – you couldn't even use that ring, so I only had two rings to work out in. Nice. Now I will tell you ahead of time. Don't don't judge me. I'm marking out. I got CW Anderson matches in the background right now while we're talking, man. I can't I can't I can't be mad at you for that. <laughs> so real quick, my, another thing. My boy Black this Jack. He told me to tell you compliment you on your blue eyes. You like that, man. <laughs> yeah, I always get uh I always put that over and one of the promoters at AML, Brian, he hates when I do it. That's, that's why I do it. I take selfies so my eyes shine a little bit because they're a little light crystal blue, and I always do it to pop him. With that being said, a young man like Blackness Jack and some of the other young guys, because right now I've seen your work at AML too, 
you worked with George South, who's been a trainer for years. You know what I'm saying? So people don't mm -hmm. know George South, an amazing trainer, has trained some great guys, and he's still working. What would you say to some of these young guys, that, or what are some of the better young guys you see coming up right now, man? Uh, Victor Andrews, and I'm just saying it because he's one of my students. Victor, he has it. He knows his, he knows his stuff. Um, let's see. The AML group has so many talented people from uh, Chip Day to um, you have the, the Dawsons who are with me at NWA. Um, those guys, the Dawsons, man, they have that look, that, that intimidating factor. Um, Colby Carino. I can't speak enough about my nephew, man. I had a match with him in September, and it was like working his dad again. That's what it mm. felt like. But Colby's way more talented as far as athletic. He don't know about the talented part. So uh, I always got to say that just to piss Steve off a little bit by saying that his son's more talented than he is. Nice, but guys nice. like that in the, in the North Carolina area, uh, John Schuyler's another one. Um, he's really good. Uh, Owen Knight. Not many people know about him. I wrestled him a few months ago. That kid is very talented. Uh, so those, those are some of the few that I've been in the ring with and that they could need more exposure just to get their name out there because those, those kids have it. Nice. We actually had uh, D-Ray 3000, who used to be on Impact. He was our guest last week, and he would say a lot of great things about you as well, man. He said you're a good dude, man. <laughs> I try to be. Yeah. That's what, now – you know, we got to talk about your ECW history. First and foremost, before I even touch anything, how in the world did you, were, I, well, I know, but let our listeners know how you were able to get the enforcer name and actually go with the Anderson gimmick. Because we already had Oli and Arn. So how were mm -hmm. you able to get it? And for them to say, we respect you, you can keep it. No problem. When I, as far as the Anderson name, uh, when I first started, there were two guys, Rocky Mills and Pat Connors, who were running the Anderson gimmick. They got permission from Gene before he passed away to use it and pass it along as they saw fit to someone that was worthy of the Anderson name. Pat found me one of my very first matches in 93. Uh, he was looking for a new pack, tag partner because Rocky was a little bit older and was going to retire. Um, so he sat me down, wondering if I want to be an Anderson, and I had no idea what I was going to call myself. Um, so I was like, yeah, sure. I'd love to be. I had a goatee at the time. I looked more like big boss man than I did Arn or Oli. And, um, so he said, well, you got to come up with a name, you know, three letters. I'm Pat. There's Arn, Oli, something along those lines. So for like a week or two, I come up with Ike and Cal, man, I couldn't come up with really anything. So the one of the local interviews I was getting ready to do for a TV station, my baseball coach that had coached me through my entire career was a wrestling manager now. And I've known Randy Driver my entire life. So I was like, Mr. Randy, you know, what am I going to call myself? I can't come up with anything. So he said, we'll just use your initials and call you CW. So that's kind of stuck for CW Anderson. As far as getting the enforcer moniker, once I got an ECW and started tagging with Bill Wiles, uh, Paul and Tommy come up with the idea of putting Sign Guy Dudley with us because Lou looked like Paul. And, of course, I looked like Arn, and we were going to make Bill Bobby Eaton and call us the new Dangerous Alliance. It was totally going to be a spoof on Paul E's Dangerous Alliance. And we started out as a comedy, and Paul touched base with Arn and asked him if he minded me using the Enforcer moniker. And he's like, no. He said, by all means. He said, and I hope CW has more success with it than I do, was his words, uh, which I didn't think would be possible. 
So we started, that's how he started the Dangerous Lines, and then we started getting over as a serious tag team and went from comedy to straight, you know, serious heels. Now, now on that, did you have, have you had any relationships with, with Arn Anderson? Have you met him or had, you know, had a chance to hang out with Arn before? Or? I never really met Arn until I was doing the WWE ECW thing and got to spend a little bit of time with him because um, he was one of the ECW agents. And I got in the ring with him one day, and I'm, I'm sure he don't remember because he's done this probably a thousand times. Before I got signed, I was coming just to do a job, you know, just for an enhancement match. And I think I was working – I got to work Chris Masters this night before before he started doing the whole Master Lock thing. And Orrin got in the ring with me, me and Kid Cash, and he taught me for like an hour and a half on how to be a more effective and heel Anderson. But as far as sitting down and spending time with him – I hadn't, I wish I would have. And then this past WrestleCade where he was signing on that Saturday, I you know, saw where he was and went up and, and when he saw me, he smiled and um, shook his hand. It was good to see him again. And I thanked him again for putting me over on his podcast saying I was worthy of the Anderson name because when Orrin tells you you're worthy, I mean, that's high homage from somebody like him. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, I, I, I got to ask you. you. You touched on a little bit. ECW as a whole. My first question is this. How does it feel? I mean, we're talking about over 20 years later, they're still doing, paying homage to ECW. Extremeness, you know what I mean? Everybody's still doing matches. They're bringing you guys in. What do you think about that? I mean, what does that show about how important ECW is? Because now before, we, before you answer that, this is not a shoot interview where we try to get you to say mean things about anybody. You don't have to do that. No. <laughs> I, I watch some of those. I know how it goes. But how does that feel, man? Because, uh, you know, you watch some promotions, they try to say, oh, ECW was small. It was small. But if you're still talking about it 20 years later, people are still wearing the shirts, that means a lot, man. What yeah, do you think about that? It's, it's very humbling to know I was part of something great. There's people – other promoters, other people that run other promotions, commentators that call ECW garbage wrestling. And that's everybody's opinion. Everybody's going to have their opinion. Not everybody liked ECW, but we're still talking, like you said, talking about this 20 years later. And anywhere I go, the word ECW, when it's meant or is mentioned out there, they start the ECW chants. 20 years, they're still, they're still chanting. Um, and it's very very humbling to be a part of that group. We've got people I consider family that I see on a regular basis. You know, last uh, AML show, the very last one, I had the I Quit match with George South, and I was lucky to have Shane Douglas come in and referee. And as soon as we get in the ring and George South mentions something about ECW, the two originals, they start chanting ECW. And it's really, man, it kind of gets to you a little bit, knowing that, again, you were part of something great. They're still talking about it. Uh, I was terrified my very first day there and come to find out how big of a family these guys were. Near the end, we were more like a family than anything else. And how is that locker room? Like, when you think about WWE, it's very, you know, big corporation. Same thing with WCW. You go into ECW, what's it like that first time you go in that locker room? Is it, you know, describe what you see or what, what it's like walking in there. I see guys that I – that I thought was going to murder me, guys I wouldn't like to be caught dead on the street with, New Jack, Balls, and Axel, those guys. And I sat in the corner for my first few months and didn't even put my boots on until Taz or Bubba told me it was okay that I was wrestling tonight. I sat in the corner. I didn't speak. I didn't say anything. 
I sat there like a little quiet church mouse. But once Bubba and Taz got gone, the locker room eased up a little bit. There was nobody there to intimidate you and to use, you know, to treat you like uh, you didn't belong. Because that was Bubba and Taz's thing was to make sure that locker room was run a certain way. And it was run a certain way because I remember one time Steve and I were late to a show because you had to be in the ring by 530 to working out. I think it was like 531. And Steve and I come busting in the arena with our street clothes on, run and dive in the ring because you had to work out and work out in our street clothes because we were terrified. One of my first encounters with Bubba, Bubba jacked me up in the corner because I did something in the ring and I danced around or something like that. And he grabbed me and jacked me up in the corner. And he goes, for some reason, Paul Heyman has a heart on for you. You're his flavor of the month. And you're out there dancing around like some faggot. He said, I don't want to ever see you doing that shit again. You're a heel. Be a fucking heel. Do you understand me? Yep. Got you, Bubba. But once they, once they left and moved on to WWE, it got more relaxed. Uh, everybody helped everybody. We were watching everybody's matches. Um, we didn't care if you had the first match and stole the show or main event and stole the show. There was no backstabbing. Because you go anywhere else, WCW and WWE, it's like every man for himself there for those locker rooms that I've been in. People are miserable. They don't want to be there. And with ECW, I couldn't wait to get back on the road because I'd always tell my mom, I'd always see her before I leave to go out on the ECW show. I said, all right, mom, I got to go to work. She's like, you're not going to work. You're going to see your second family. I'm like, well, yep, you're right. We exchanged gifts at Christmas. We bought everybody, each other a gift. Um, we, a lot of us traveled together. And I mean, you know, I still keep in contact with a lot of the guys today from ECW. And, you know, I really miss it, man. I miss that. I miss it every day because that was a special part of my life. And to say that I was a part of ECW and I was one of the originals means something to me, something I can hold my head high about. And you definitely were a huge part of it, man. And like you just said, some people try to say it's trash wrestling, but you were a worker. And to people that don't know what a worker is, that, that's a wrestler, but, you know, that, in the industry, you know what I mean. We call it a worker. How did that feel when you had a lot of people doing the hardcore stuff? You had the blood, the cheers. Not saying you didn't do it, but you had wrestling matches. You worked some of the best. You worked RVD. You know, you got in there with some of the guys. How did that feel? And why did you choose to always be a wrestler as opposed to doing more of the hardcore stuff? Um, I enjoyed doing the hardcore here and there when it was called for. Like, you know, New Jack and I are still tight to the day. And because, uh, you know, New Jack grew up right down the road in Greensboro, North Carolina. So, Jack and I kind of hit it off, so I, I loved doing hardcore with him. It was a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun working each other. Balls and axles the same way. But, you know, taking those chair shots every night were taking a toll on me, and I was glad that I actually got to wrestle because being an Anderson, that's what Arn was. Arn was a – he was a workhorse, and that's how I always prided myself. I wanted to be the guy because when I started in wrestling, I was a Bobby Eaton mark. Still am today. He is my idol. Uh, and I wanted to be Bobby Eaton to where I could go out there and wrestle Ric Flair or I could go out there and wrestle a broomstick and have a five-star match. So that's the mentality I had. I want to go out there and I'm going to seek perfection. And there were so many articles done on me that every time you come to an ECW show, C.W. Anderson never has a bad match because I put a hundred percent in. And it's just like, I'm, you know, I'm watching the, uh, Michael Jordan documentary, The Last Dance, and Michael said that he went out there every night and give it 100% because there was some fan out there that had never seen him play basketball live. But I wanted to go out there and give the person that worked 
sorry, that was my Rottweiler. I would have worked 40 hours a week and took their 5, 10, 15, 20 bucks and spent it to watch me wrestle. I wanted him to walk out there and say, man, C.W. Anderson, give me a great match tonight. I got my money's worth just by watching C.W. Anderson. Now, with that being said, I know we had some amazing moments in ECW. I was blessed to actually get to see ECW live a few times here in the Michigan area. If you can pinpoint, and I'm not going to say just one, if you can pinpoint your top three moments in ECW, what would you say? Um, I might have to combine one together because it was my I Quit match with Tommy Dreamer at Guilty as Charged, the very last pay-per-view. Not only that match, but after the match, uh, as I'm walking to the back, the Hammerstein Ballroom sold out. There's over 3,000 people, and they're all chanting C-fucking-dub. I started getting that chant at the end of my matches. They're all standing up applauding me for my mad quit match with Tommy. And if I'm not mistaken, after I won, the next, the thing was I was winning a TV title on the next pay-per-view and Tommy was going to turn me babyface because I was getting over with the fans. Walking back that night through the crowd, or walking back down the aisleway and hearing them chant my name, I was looking up and I'm overcome with emotion on the inside because these people appreciated what I did. And then when I walked through the curtain, Balls Mahoney was the first pe person to greet me, and he was clapping like this. And he said, that's one of the best fucking matches I've ever seen. Um, that match, then my Kid Cash match, hard, uh, November to remember 2000, that match with him because I was out there for so long, and Kid Cash and I wrestled a very, very good match. And that's where we invented the Stalin superplex that, I, uh, that we did. And when I came in the back and Tommy gave me the praise, he said, you're a hell of a worker, C-Dub. I can't wait to put you over on pay-per-view. And then I think my third moment was uh, backtrack a little bit. One of the reasons I left the power plant was J.J. Dillon and Paul Orndorff told me I didn't really have what it takes to be a wrestler at WCW. They were more of a cosmetic company. And at my look at the time, I didn't have it. And they, they thought I was an okay wrestler, but they thought I would never make it, which kind of frustrated me. So when I got to ECW, and got really good friends with Tommy because Tommy was in my traveling clique with uh, Louis Dangerously, Jack Victory, Steve Carino, Tommy, and Francine. Um, the very first pay-per-view, Anarchy Rules, I think I think it was Anarchy Rules. May not have been. I, I can't remember what my very first pay-per-view. I didn't wrestle. I wrestled a dark match. Anyway, before I walked out in my dark match, it's myself and Bill Wiles versus Danny Dorn and Roadkill, Miss Congeniality, um, Lita. I walk by Tommy and Tommy grabs me by the arm and like pulls me this close. He said, I want you to go out there and steal this fucking show before this pay-per-view even starts. He says, you're here because you earned the right to be here. Not because you're my friend. He said, because you're one hell of a fucking wrestler. He said, I want you to go out there and wrestle this match and stick it up. Paul Orndorff and JJ Dillon's ass for not signing you. Wow, that, that's something, man. And and, and what is it, so? And what's the thing? Like at the end of ECW, did you really know you coming out that pay per view? You had the best pay per view of your life. You can't you fall through the power plant to get here. Do you know that this is the end? Like going into that match, do you think it's you know? Do you, when do you find out like that that ECW's done? And then you know where do you go from there? Yeah, no, we, I didn't have a clue. Some people kind of knew, and when we went to uh, Arkansas the next week, people were kind of the rumors were there. But nobody – I mean, I kept thinking, man, this is ECW. It can't fold. You know, we had heard the rumors. And December, where I beat Tommy at Massacre on 34th Street, I was getting changed. And Paul Heyman come and knelt in front of me and 
asked me, was I leaving him to go to WCW? And I'm like, what are you talking about? He said, he's heard rumors that I'm going to WCW. I said, Paul, I would never leave you. I said, I'm loyal to the people that give me my job and took a chance on me. On me. I said, I would never leave ECW. I love being here and I'm happy here. So I had no clue that we were closing. And how I found out how every one of us from ECW found out is the night we saw Paul Heyman on Raw. We realized then that ECW is done. Yeah, and I, never, I've heard that from a few of the guys about that, which you just said right there. Yep. But speaking of seeing Paul Heyman on Raw, I got to ask you, how was it working for Paul Heyman? You know, the narrative for years has been some people love him to death, some people hate him. How was it, in your perspective, working for Mr. Paul Heyman? In my opinion, I loved working for Paul. Paul could make you believe you were invincible. You know, he would sit us down all those times and tell us why we weren't getting paid this week. You know, it was the raw, raw speech, go ECW. And by the time he ended the speech, we were ready to go out there and kill somebody, you know, in our match to get it over. Uh, Paul believed in me when nobody else did. He gave me my, he gave me a chance. He gave me the ball, let me run with it. Cause I told him when he, when I first got there, I said, the day you give me the ball, I'm going to run with it. And you know, I'm never going to look back. I said, I will make you proud that you, you know, took a chance on me. And um, I have, you know, how it ended, sometimes we get a little bitter and a little harsh about it. All you had to do was pick up the phone, anything along those lines. But I'm always blessed that Paul and Tommy took a chance on me and made me who I am because it was his idea and Tommy's idea for the Enforcer moniker and the whole Dangerous Alliance. It was Paul and Tommy's idea to start pushing me once Lance Storm left. I mean, they could have just made me just a little job guy and, you know, left me uh, out to nothing, but they didn't. And I think uh, when they give me that chance, I hit a home run with it. So I have really nothing negative to say about Paul. Nice, nice. Now, we're going to jump ahead a little bit. We know you do work, well, you did do a little bit with the WWE, but one of the events I want to talk about was probably, to this day, my favorite quote-unquote WWE event was One Night Stand. How did you feel coming back with the guys after that extended period of time away doing one night stand at Hammerstein Ballroom? I loved it. Um, I was under the impression up until it got ready to, to start that I was working that night. Uh, we had just come from uh, Shane Douglas's hardcore, uh, was it hardcore homecoming shows that we did. So, and I was with Stevie Richards and that I was supposed to work Danny and Roadkill. Myself and Swinger were supposed to work Danny and Roadkill. And then it got changed to me doing a singles dark match. And then it got changed to me doing nothing. So Tommy told me, he said, Vince doesn't want any bumping before the show because he doesn't want to burn out the crowd. Well, obviously Vince has never seen an ECW show because you can have a dark match and the crowd's still going to be hot as hell when the lights go up. So he told me I could sit back there in the back and wait for the run-in to where we all get in the ring or I can sit out there and enjoy the show. So I sat out there and got one of those $400 chairs and took home with me and enjoyed the show. But it was good being back with the whole ECW family and then some of the WWE people that were ECW, like Benoit and Guerrero, and seeing them again. Uh, it, was, it was a great experience being at that show and getting to witness it. I would have loved to have been on it, but at least I was still there. Now, when that, they put that together, it's supposed to be a one-time time, time deal. The first one, was that, you know, communicated to you that it feel like something else was going to happen, or was it truly just a one-time deal, and then, you know, they had a second one? That was a, that was a little bit of uh, buzz that may be doing something else. So 
so we were kind of excited that they were going to maybe because around that time the buzz at ECW started coming back. So everybody was talking about ECW and they were seeing all these clips and highlights of us. So there was talk of doing something. And it wasn't until Tommy called me one day that, you know, they were actually going to run ECW again. Yeah. You just talked about being part of hardcore homecoming. I've always wondered, was there any issue with being on a hardcore homecoming show and people doing a one night stand? Cause they were, if you remember, they were really close in time. Yeah, there was no issue whatsoever. Yeah, there was never no controversy with it. Okay, okay. So when WWE brought you guys in, was it just a one, it was no, like it's a one-time, one-day contract, or was it? Yeah, it was just, you know, you get one payday for that. It was no contract. It was just, you know, a one-time fee, so to speak. Okay. For me, anyway. I, for the other ones, I'm, I'm not sure of, but for me, that's what it was. So then they moved to, you know, running ECW. What, what did they tell you? How did you find out about that? It's going to be a full-time. And then, you know, what was your introduction to WWE ECW? Um, Tommy calls me one day and goes, his first, he goes, what are you doing? Nothing. He says, WWE wants to sign you. I said, shut up. No, they don't. He goes, no, I'm serious. He says, we're bringing back ECW and Paul and I are in charge. And you're going to be one of my top heels. We're just going to start back like it was. Uh, we're going to pick up where we left off. And we're going to go from there. He said, Paul and I have complete control. We're going to run little small towns. He just started telling me these things. I said, so, I don't have to go to Ohio Valley. He said, no. I said, and Vince has no control over this. He said, no. And he told me what they were paying, which was shit money, to be quite honest with you. Uh, but he said the incentives after your first year we're going to make up for the low signing that you were taking. So I said, you know what, for you, I'll sign um, because I was excited to, they were going to bring ECW back. It was going to be like it was before running small towns. We're going to run the ECW arena. Uh, we're not going to be near WWE, which I enjoyed. We'd be in our own little group again. So I was all in. And it wasn't until after the first ECW arena show that Vince took things back over because he didn't like the way the arena was shot or anything like that. So he took it back over. And once he took over, it went downhill from there. I did not want to be a part of that group anymore. Um, I worked Sabu that first night and had a really good match with him. And once that was over with, and then he started bringing his WWE people in, it wasn't it wasn't any any fun anymore. I wanted to be released. I wanted to get away from there. So when they were telling me on loops that I wasn't on, I didn't mind because it it wasn't ECW. It was just like you were just you were just wrestling for WWE and with the ECW name. It was nothing like what I had left. Uh, I, I can understand. I, I remember as a fan, the first time I think I remember people saying, "No, this ain't it." Is when they had the zombie on there. <laughs> the very first one. Yeah, it was man, down there. At that point, I think as the fans, we were like, "This ain't it, man. This ain't what we was cheering ECW for at one night stand." No. So yeah, I, I totally understand that. Um, and like I said, I am your Facebook friend, so I follow a lot of stuff you do. And I remember commenting to you one time, like, man, you like you can still get it in. You were still TV ready. So now you're working with NWA Power. I was already a huge fan of NWA Power even before you got in. And I remember commenting one time on one of your posts, like, you need to holler at them. Like, you need to get in. How is it working with NWA Power and Mr. Dave Lagana over there? It is the, about the closest thing to being back at ECW. The locker room is really, really close. Uh, everybody's watching everybody's matches again. It's, we're all joking and joking around. 
back there. And it's, it's great to see guys I hadn't seen in a while from Trevor Murdoch, Simon Diamond, um, you know, Crimson, guys like that. And then, you know, I knew Billy Corgan from ECW, so it was good to see him again once I got back there. And I got in the ring with the Dawsons. I've been in the ring with the, uh, Ken Anderson, uh, Colt Cabana, guys like that who I've wrestled before. But I really enjoy NWA Power because it's that old school feel again with that uh, studio setting. And it's a lot of fun. You know, the guys are helping everybody. You know, I got uh, Eddie Kingston, who's a friend of mine, is there. D Homicide. You know, Homicide is one of the agents there. So it's really like being around a bunch of people that, of course, I enjoy being around all these guys because we're all good friends and there's no backstabbing, no, none of that crap going on. Everybody's there to push everybody and make this NWA thing, you know, uh, go further than what it is right now. Now you mentioned Bobby Eaton is one of your favorite wrestlers. So now you're in basically the same ring as Bobby Eaton. Jim Cornette is doing commentary. I mean, how does that feel? Like you're pretty much in that world, you know, from, from the late eighties. Well, I wasn't lucky enough to be there when, when Cornette was there. He, 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 they parted ways, uh, and I was there right after that. So I wasn't lucky enough because I've always, I've always thought Jim Cornette's the best manager there ever is, there ever was. But, uh, but you know, being that NWA logo and being an Anderson being there and then, you know, Bobby Eaton, that whole thing, it all – I actually got to hold Arn Anderson's TV belt, my very first TV tape in backstage, you know, just looking at it. So um, – it, I feel blessed to be there because, you know, I grew up watching the NBA. That's what I love. And being a part of this group is very special to me. And I'm going to tell you this, man. And like I said, I, I was an indie worker myself for years. But I'm going to tell you, you made me a little mad. You, you turned me into a mark watching NWA because you guys had that contract match. And I was sitting there, and even though I know the business as a mark, I'm like, he can't lose. He can't lose. We got to have CW NWA, man. Yeah, so that, that was a lot of fun. Buster, I'm like, okay, yes. I'm <laughs> Speaking of that, that spine buster, man. When I say this, um, and like I said, it, it, and granted, I was on the independent worker uh, level, but watching your matches, the spine buster, your super kick, one of the things uh, I think people lack now is looking real in their matches. I, I don't know if you could agree or disagree with that. Your no, stuff looked legit always now what do you attest that to always making sure your stuff looked like that you was making contact it was impactful what do you attest that to my perfection in the ring and my ocd of how i want to be perfect my super kick has to be perfect it has to make that sound my spine buster uh i, I always say they always say orange spine buster is the best hey it's on i'll give that to him but mine's 1a because nobody has the recoil that I do from the spine buster. And I think that adds to it because of the impact. And it's the action that makes my spine buster and my super kick. Uh, because the sound it makes, you know, I've, Sarge told me 20 years ago that I had the best punch in wrestling. So I test having the best punch in wrestling still. One of the best, if not the best super kick, and by far the best spine buster there is because Arn's not hitting his anymore, so it's just left to me. And it's just my perfection. I'll go back and watch my videos of my matches, and if I miss my super kick by certain or my spine buster is not right, I'll slow things down to see where my footwork was wrong, and then I'll go and train and work on that. 27 years I've been doing this, and I still am the worst critic to myself. And if I screw up, I'm, I beat myself up about it, and I'll go and fix that. Nice. And I'm glad you said that because I actually was watching one of your videos, 
and I see it was a training video. You were still in there with the guys. I say that because I know some of the trainers, after you know, they get a little older, they choose to just stand on the outside and tell the guys, do this, do that. Have you always been like that? Even when you train the guys, I'm still in there. I'm still showing them. I want to show them this stuff. You, you can't train somebody standing on the side of the ring. You have to be in there and showing it. If, if you're just a coach, you're not a trainer. Uh, you have to actually get in there and show them because they're small, minute things, the way they hold their hand, the way their head's held, the way their feet are a certain way. I have to be hands-on with these guys. I cannot sit there and tell you to do this and this and turn your foot. If it's not like it, sir, I'm going to grab you and twist you the way I want you to, to get that perfection in there. And I'll go in there and bump with you. I'll take shoulder tackles, run the ropes with you, uh, run matches. Look, I just worked a match the other day and they're just rolling around uh, to get that rust back off and then to teach a little bit because I still want to learn. And guys that's been in the business a year teach me things just by little things they do that they don't mean to do. And I'm like, oh, shit, I, okay, I can make that a little bit better by a certain thing or can make them better uh, just by teaching them because I don't want these guys started on the wrong path and going off in a bad direction because if you're learning from me, you know with my OCD and my how I strive to be perfect, that's what I'm going to instill in you too. You have to get on my level. Yeah, I think there's one thing that the business is missing, I, you know, is being is having those people that can actually work. There's a lot of entertainers, there's a lot of people that can do jokes and stuff, but having actually having those workers, you know, you see like the revival, and then you see them misused, and you see other guys that can that can work, they don't get used. You know, what what's your thoughts on that that part of the build the business? Is that is that it's almost like a dying art. I mean, I watch AEW. I'm still not seeing. You know, I see a lot of guys flipping around. I, I'm still not seeing people that know how really how to work a match work a hold i mean what's your thought is it dying is it is it waiting to, are people waiting to see that again like what, what's up with the workers there there's always going to be a need um and if you see me twitching back and forth my rottweiler right here she wants to play and she's jerking me back and forth and she, <laughs> she needs attention she's a rescue she's had separation anxiety so just forgive me but I, i've still got you um there's going to be a need for all this uh, there's going to be a need for workers you know, George South and I have had a program for the last year, and over the summer, he and I did a match to where we did no move out of the 80s. Everything we did was called in the ring. There was nothing out of the 80s. And we had people emailing us the next week telling them that our match gave them chills, that it was like watching the movie Rocky. The promoter told us, he said, I've cried once in professional wrestling. He said, the night Shawn Michaels superkick Ric Flair, I cried. He said, your match made me cry twice because of the realism and the effect. So there's always going to be a need for old school, but as sometimes I hate the evolve, the evolve, how wrestling's evolved. No one say hate is, is a strong word, but it's sometimes it needs wrestling needs variety. Jack Victor used to tell me when you go to a show, you need to get all your variety in wrestling it needs to be a hardcore match, an old school match, uh, a luchador match, guys that are flipping a heart, you know, everything because that one fan, may not like hardcore wrestling. That one fan may not like old school, but if you give them a little bit of everything, they're going to be happy. So I'm not a fan of some of the newer stuff nowadays, but I respect the guys for being athletes and the talent that they possess. But, you know, I, let's see. You're not going to like everything everybody does. You just have to appreciate that and just what you do. It's like he was asking me, Sean was asking me a while ago, making my stuff look real because I want to make people believe in me. I used to have people tell me all the time, 
they were scared to death of me at ECW because of my character. Said I made you believe that I'm a badass. You're talking to a guy that that was raised a Christian, but I can go out there and make you believe that I'm the son of the devil just by how much I can make you hate. If I can do that, then I've done my job. For sure, for sure. Now, before we let you go, I do want to touch base on a couple things. One, your relationship with Mr. Carino. You guys with Extreme Horsemen. I was watching the video when you did the spot when he came and saved you, and you just hugged him. Like, how long have you guys been homeboys, man? Like, could you tell me a little bit about your relationship? Steve is by far my absolute best friend. I think six months into the business, maybe a year into my bank, I've been in it one year longer than he has. We met on a show somewhere here in North Carolina and instantly hit it off. And we've been close ever since. We started traveling together here and there. And then once I got to ECW, we became even closer because we were traveling. You know, we rode in the same clique. Went to Japan, spent years together over there. Well, Australia, all over the world, Steve and I have been. And he's been basically my brother. Uh, there was nothing I wouldn't do for that man. I was so glad when he got his job at WWE with all the unfortunate firings from a few weeks ago. He was the first one I reached out to to make sure he still had his job uh, because I know how much Steve loves this business. Steve's one of those, like Dreamer, he's been wanting to be a wrestler since he was a little boy. And there's nobody that's closer to me than Steve. When I uh, screwed my back up and had liver failure, he was the first person to reach out to me when they thought I was going to die. Um, and when I, you know, any of our personal problems, we reach out to each other, but I can't put into words how close he and I are. And we have so many stories and so many things that we want to tell and get out there. We've actually talked about writing a book together and it was Dusty Rhodes idea to make us the extreme horsemen together with Barry Wyndham and everywhere he's went, I went right along with him. So, uh, he's again, my best friend and love that he's with WWE. And there's sometimes I wish he was still on the road with me. Well, one last question that I have for you. Like you said, we got a lot of young guys coming into the business, 18, 19, 20. They're a little different than how it used to be. They're more of a video game playing type of guys. They're uh, friends a lot. You know what I mean? They're friends before they work hard. Not knocking them, but it is what it is. But what would you tell some of the young guys that want to be a wrestler or some of the young guys in the business right now is just starting out. For the ones that want to be a wrestler, find a reputable trainer, not somebody that says they're a wrestler and have not been anywhere. Find a George South, find like the Dudley boys camp, Booker T's camp. Uh, or, you know, when I was running school, my school, the monster factory with Danny cage, anybody that has been there or done that or has a reputation of training success, that's where you go. You're going to spend a little bit more money, but it's going to pay off in the long run. You don't want some guy that runs out of his barn or runs shows on the weekends and draws five people because all he's going to do is take your money. And then when you say, y'all was trained by this guy, we're going to go, who? But, you know, uh, like my student Vic, he'll go to do stuff for WWE and meet other people and they'll say, who trains you? And he says, C.W. Anderson. And he's immediately taken in because of my reputation, how I teach and how I present myself reflects with them and they know if they if he comes from me he's reputable he's a good dude and he knows how to work and that's the same way with them guys that are in the business record every match that you got and be your worst critic if there's a veteran on the show somebody again that's been there like myself uh, 
that's been to the show, just humbly ask them if they could watch your match and critique it. And what you want the guy to tell you is what you did wrong, not what you did right. Now, there's a, that promotion I work for in uh, Winston-Salem, the AML. I've had guys ask me to critique their match, and I'm very hard on them. And then they'll go and complain that I'm too hard on them or I'll hurt their feelings. If you ain't got thick skin in this business, you don't need to be in this business. So don't be afraid to take criticism because I've had, I've had Sarge cuss me out. I had Paul and Tommy ream me along with a few other guys after my pay-per-view in California, the six man we did because we went way too long. I'm on pay-per-view at ACW and I'm still getting fussed out, but you take that, you learn from it and you move on because that's how you get better. So find somebody, record your matches and have thick skin and don't be too much on yourself and don't have such an ego that you ain't willing to learn. Well, hold up, hold up. I said that was the, my last question. Wait a minute. I got one yeah. more for you, CW. Okay. So, uh, I, like I said, I watch your Facebook, and this is this is off the record. Yeah, sure. But uh, you also, I noticed you talked about Tupac and different things. Have you always been, like, in the hip-hop a little bit, man? Has that always been you? <laughs> Steve Carino has called me the blackest redneck he's ever met. <laughs> The, the the road the road I grew up on was a dirt road. My family was the only white family. My next to Steve, my best friend Maurice Watson. Uh, he and I have been best friends close since we were four years old. We went to preschool together. We played video games together. Uh, he's helped me out with a lot of personal things and and vice versa. I have grew up with black guys my entire life playing basketball here at my house. I had like full court dunk goals. The, the yard would be filled with, with young kids and guys, and my brother and I would be the only two white guys there. I grew up on hip-hop, love Tupac, Beastie Boys, Run DMC, Grandmaster Flash, guys like that. Um, that's where I got the idea for this because I've always seen Tupac do this. That's where I got the W from, and then there was a guy named Tom Cassati that always run around doing this. So one day I just put those two together and come up with that. But, yeah, I love hip-hop. Um, not today's hip-hop, but the 80s and early 90s-style hip-hop because that's my generation. That leads to my question because I know you brought up earlier your friendship with New Jack. And, we, you know, we've seen the stories with New Jack, the documentary. I can, t I can tell you a story about New Jack, too, dealing with that, too, but go ahead. Yeah, so that, that's my question. What's the C.W. Anderson, New Jack, out of the town story? Like, what, what, what's the crazy New Jack story? All right. That's how New Jack and I got close. And then I'll tell you one of the, one of the stories. Um, we were in Alabama and the girl I was dating at the time was, uh, this light skinned girl her name was Lisa. She looked like a Leah in the face, but with JLo's body. So imagine that, um, we were at the show. She was sitting up there and I was still kind of new. So nobody really knew who Lisa was. And I saw new Jack talking to her. So I'm walking through the hall. I see Jack coming and Jack goes, see up. I didn't know you were from North Carolina. I said, yeah, I grew up on the east side of Raleigh. He said, man, I'm from Greensboro. He said, I didn't know you dated black girls. I said, that's all I date. He said, man, I don't date, I don't date number of white girls. We high-fived and kept it moving. And Jack and I have been close ever since. <laughs> and uh, one, of my, one of my stories with Jack out of town is he got hurt one night, and they told me to, uh, that he needed a driver. So I, I volunteered to drive Jack. We were going to St. Louis. At the time, Jack, I think, had like a Mitsubishi Eclipse. So you can imagine how small that car is anyway. So Jack's in the passenger side. I'm driving. 
we're driving through nothing but just damn acres and acres of cornfield and off in the distance there's just at least 30 or 40 foot cross in the middle of the field burning and it's like two o'clock in the morning and jack's passed out he had taken a pill because of his pain and he was passed out i'm looking at this damn cross and i look over at jack and i like slap him on the shoulder i said jack wake up he wakes up i said what do you think about that and i pointed that cross he sees that cross he goes keep driving cw keep driving <laughs> Man. Well, see, it's funny. They just did a documentary on Jack, man, for Dark Side of the Ring. Did you get a chance to check it out? I did. I, lo I loved it. I even messaged him afterwards because I always call him Big Bruh. I said, that documentary was great, Big Bruh. And uh, he, he thanked me on that. He touched base with me the other day. Um, he told me the mass transit story one night sitting in the hotel room in uh, Philadelphia. We had been drinking a little bit, and I couldn't feel my legs. Me and Mike Howell, who was one of the ducks, and Jack gets off and, and like, gets off on – not gets off, but he'd started in depth on that mass transit incident. And it was petrifying me because Jack and I hadn't really got that close yet, but we kind of were. And I remember Mike Howe leaning over at me. He said, I'm scared to death. I'd run away, but I can't feel my feet. <laughs> cause I, cause I think I saw, did you work Jack again here recently on the, on the show? Uh, let's see. When was the last time I worked with Jack? I worked him over the summer in, um, uh, for the guy, Chris, guy that Shane Douglas's uh, friend or his agent. I worked Jack then. Um, yeah, that's that's the last time I've, I've worked with Jack. Okay. But I, I, I worked him last year. And I thought I was going to be on the documentary because we had guys filming Jack at that show that he and I were working on, but I didn't think that must have been for something else that uh, they were filming. But they had me and Jack. They wanted us to do a couple things, and they showed me warming up or something like that. But yeah, I went out and I work. I always love working with Jack. We have a lot of fun. Well, well let Jack know. Hopefully, you have fun talking with us because we're going to yeah. holler at him about being on the show, too. So, let Jack know it ain't that bad dealing with us on the show, man. <laughs> yeah, you'll, you'll definitely get – your eyes will be open listening to Jack. There'll be some funny stories. Well, CW, we don't want to keep you too long. I know you said you got to go holler at your Rottweiler and make sure get her attention. But before yeah. we leave, what should we expect after this Corona COVID stuff coming up from you, man? Uh, keeping that AML title, I'm going to have a, oh, I want to have a good long run with that AML title. Um, and I'm hoping things are looking forward or looking up for me at the NWA. And if I'll, you know, if I had to wrestle the champ, if I had to wrestle Zicky Dice, the TV champ to get that belt off of him, I will, because, you know, look, I'm 49 years old. I've been doing this 27 years, the best shape of my life. I can still move like I was when I was playing baseball. So um, it's about time for CW Anderson to make some more noise again. I, I totally agree. Like I said, I, I said it to you on a post. Like, you still got it. Like, you, you, I think you got it more now, even than you had it then. Like, you were awesome then. You're even better now, I think, man. That's what I mean, that's, you everybody, everybody tells me I got that Benjamin Button disease uh, where, I'm a little, where I look younger now. But I, I get that a lot, man. It's, it's a compliment that they say I'm better now than what I was when I was at ECW. For sure, for sure. Well, Daryl, do you have anything else for Mr. Uh, C.W. Anderson? Yeah, no, man. I, th I think this has been a fantastic interview, man. You, you filled in so many gaps, like, and it's just been great talking to you. And, and you know, what I learned, too, man, you know, you, you got that great wrestling voice, man. The, the promo, uh, your promo stuff, it, it, I don't think gets enough credit either. Oh, thank you. I, you know, I, have a, I attribute that a lot to James Mitchell, the devil that uh, worked with uh, Mikey and Tajiri. He helped me out a lot with that because you're talking to a guy that was petrified of the camera when I got to ECW. 
my first live pay-per-view or my, excuse me, my first live promo was at the ECW arena. Paul basically threw me to the wolves and told me what to say. And I get in the ring and I'm standing there like shaking in my boots. I'm so scared. But once I started hanging around James Mitchell and him talking with me promos, man, I really got comfortable with him. And people see me riding down the street right when I'm getting ready for an AML show and see me talking to myself. I'm just going, working on my promos. For sure, for sure. Well, C.W. Anderson, thank you, man. It's been an amazing hour with you. That time just flies by. Thank you again for doing the interview with us. We appreciate you, man. So take care, and we will holler at you later, man. Thank you very much, sir. Take care, guys. See you. Thank you. Great. Daryl. Yo. Another amazing interview, man. Amazing interview. We we had Mr. C.W. Anderson, man. We even got an exclusive. He explained where the whole C.W. thing came from. Uh, Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Fantastic. A story about, you know, how and getting inherited the Anderson name. You know, man, it's just, 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 uh, you know, amazing guy. You know, going from ECW, WWE, back. I mean, it's, 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 it's a whirlwind right there. For sure, man. Well, like I want to say that to all our people that's gonna be listening to the show, whether you watch the video or whether you're listening back, make sure you subscribe. We're gonna have the page up. We can follow it on YouTube. Subscribe on Spotify, iTunes. Where to get your podcast from? Follow me on Facebook. We have all that information up for you. And check me out. Like I said, we've been so blessed to have some great interviews. And Daryl, as you know, we got some amazing interviews coming up. Oh, soon. we got some big stuff coming. You want you want you want to give them a hint? You want to give them a taste of what's coming Darryl, next? Devastating. Let them know, man. Well, we got well, we we got two key interviews coming up, right? We got from uh, 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 Retromania, right? That new Retromania video game coming out. It was very similar, you know, like kind of using that same engine from from uh, that old, uh, you know, uh, WrestleMania game back in the day, arcade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Back in the day, bringing that forward. So we're excited for that. We've also got uh, a member of the the Fame Maya Via family, right? Mm-hmm. We're gonna bring so, in Toa Maya Via. He's part uh, of the Samoan dynasty. So you know, if he's Samoan, he's related to a certain champ, a certain people's champ. So that's why you guys want to make sure you check out every episode of the Wrestling Heroes Insiders podcast, The Whip Show, because you never know what personalities we're going to have on the show. But Daryl, we will get with him next time. So go ahead and sign off, and let's do it. All right, signing off here from the studio. Like I said, we've been holding it down this week, so uh, taking care of those technical issues. So, so signing off from the studio is devastating, Daryl. And I am Deshaun with Dog Whipple, and we will see you next time on the Wrestling Heroes Insiders Podcast. Take care, guys. Next time.